Welcome to Africa LSV podcast, the monthly podcast for language services in Africa, where we go trends, translation, interpretation, localization, and language industry in general. This podcast is presented by Bolingo Communications and Media Council and hosted by the wonderful Adina Maran Kulibali. If you want to give the feedback or feature on the podcast, just send us an email at the address info at bilingualconsult.com. This podcast is supported by Multilingual, your go-to source for language industry news since 1987. Hello and welcome to another episode of Africa's LSP podcast. In this episode of the podcast, we are talking about how tech giants are localizing into African languages and our focus is Hausa. I'm really excited about the podcast episode and I'm ready with my pen and paper to learn a lot. And it's not just going to be my listeners who learn, but I'm going to learn a lot as well. So my guest for today is Mazhun Idris. He hails from Kano State in northern Nigeria. He's a Hausa localization specialist. He's a language and digital rights activist. He is a social linguist with interest in digital and corpus linguistics. Mazun, you're welcome to the podcast. Uh, thank you so much for having me. I wouldn't want to present your, your profile because I believe that you have a lot to talk about. So can you please let our listeners know a bit about your background in terms of what you do? Okay, thank you for the nice introduction. Uh, I think uh, I'm also excited uh, to be on this uh, important podcast, being uh, uh, a podcast by African establishment, uh, which makes me feel very, very proud of uh, the progress Africa is making in terms of localization, despite the domination of some uh, Western companies and organizations. So I think Africa is uh, picking up gradually. So as you said, uh, my name is Mazvin Idris from Kano. Kano is in a very ancient town in Northern Nigeria. Uh, more than a thousand years old, actually, according to historians. So I am a localization specialist focusing mostly on Hausa. Uh, I am also a digital activist promoting African languages uh, and some native languages around the world. I call myself a social linguist because of uh, my interest in digital linguistics and corpus linguistics, especially when it's how it relates to uh, artificial intelligence and technology that is uh, all burgeoning all around the world. So I am also a research and market consultant on household localization and household natural language processing for machine learning and artificial intelligence. I have uh, over the years worked or consulted for over and over 50 local and global brands all around the, uh, the world. So I have, uh, and uh, I can estimate about a thousand professional hours doing translation, transcription, 
cultural adaptation, cultural competency, uh, consultation, annotation, language quality assessment, web and app localization, and more stuff like that. So I am currently a language lead for Google Hausa localization projects, uh, handling different uh, Google products. I'm also a member of the advisory board for a project by UNESCO and Global Voices. The project is called Digital Activism Pro for Promotion of Indigenous Languages and Multilingual Diversity on the Internet. So I am the curator of Hausa Hope uh, on Twitter and Facebook, which you'll find at, at Hausa Translator. I'm a member of uh, American Translators Association and the Nigerian Institute of Translators and Interpreters. Uh, I think briefly that is who I am uh, as far as language uh, is concerned. Fantastic profile. And I'm really impressed by your experience and all that you've done within the language services industry and as a localization specialist. Now, talking about Hausa, we know that Hausa is kind of a lingua franca in Africa and particularly in sub-Saharan Africa. I've been trying to check the number of speakers of the language and I see conflicting uh, figures. I see 50 million speakers, some sites say 250 million speakers, and some even say 100 million. So I don't know if you have uh, specific maybe data on the number of speakers of Hausa in sub-Saharan Africa or even in Africa, and also the relevance of the language on the continent. Yeah, so uh, the reason for that conflicting data on the number of speakers, you know, language is uh, a very tricky thing to do census of its speakers, and especially for Hausa, which uh, has more second language speakers than native language speakers, because it has been a trade language for hundreds of years, and currently the conservative estimate should be like 70 million or up to like 100 million. But of course, some, some will tell you based on the estimations is like 150 million. So you can go with 100 million speakers because in Nigeria alone, you can see the native house speakers would uh, number about 40 million, then uh, merge it up with uh, the number of second language speakers. Then considering other West African countries like Ghana, Cameroon, Niger, Central Africa Republic, Guinea, Sudan, Saudi Arabia, and many other places. And perhaps uh, the fact that Hausa people are very conservative with their languages, they tend to speak it wherever they find themselves, even to their kids, even while they live in the Western world. Uh, so perhaps if you are to estimate all those number of speakers, you are going to arrive at a much higher uh, figure. So Hausa is uh, a Chadic language from the uh, Afro-Asiatic uh, uh, family uh, in the language tree. And uh, it's the second largest Afro-Asiatic language in the world after Arabic. Hausa is also the third, the third uh, largest trade language in West Africa. That's after English and, and uh, French. In fact, Hausa is considered the, the biggest uh, language, if you can use that word, in, as a native language in Africa. Because even Swahili, despite its status as official language, language in many African countries, 
which Hausa is fortunately not like that. But still, Hausa has more speakers than Swahili. So Hausa is the biggest native African language. If you consider uh, English, French, and Arabic as colonial languages. A brief uh, uh, specific information about Hausa. Native language speakers always love to say their language is easy to understand. I think there are only a few native speakers who would confess that their language is difficult. I think I've never come across one except maybe Germany. Germans, I think, all over the world agree that their language is very hard to learn. Mm -hmm. uh, but but Hausa is uh, considered to be very easy to learn. I think we have some empirical data on that. Part of it is because Hausa has a high word utility. So we have a very small functional uh, vocabulary base that we use it, especially in spoken Hausa, in everyday language. So we use, uh, if you can master a few set of vocabulary, you can speak Hausa easily. So this is why we yeah. consider it very easy to learn. And also, I think I saw just last week a, a, a research done to see how and why some language with many speakers tend to be easier to understand, which they listed Hausa among 20 languages with uh, uh, speakers, uh, or with a large number of speakers. So they use uh, two words, big and small, just the word in each of these languages and ask some people around the world who do not have any idea of the language to see if they can have a grasp of the meaning of the two words. And they found that the languages with more number of speakers tend to perform better than uh, other languages and how so locally was listed. So considering the huge number of speakers of Hausa we have, you know, all over the continent, what is the place of Hausa on digital spaces? Uh, Hausa, because it, Hausa has many short, short points. Like, you can see what with two letters, three letters, so many in a sentence. So this is one of the reasons when machine translation and automation started, some people and also the reason uh, uh, what I told you that Hausa has high word utility. Some people thought that to do automatic, uh, automated the machine translation for Hausa will be difficult, but uh, somehow they have been proven wrong. Uh, their thinking was that since there are many small words and with multiple meanings in Hausa, it may not be easy. But actually, Hausa currently enjoys a lot of attention due to its wide usage in a dozen countries around the world and high number of Hausa speakers on digital uh, platforms, especially Hausa are very notorious for using their languages, even if they speak some colonial language like English in their Facebook post, for example, they still ended up with Hausa. So it's kind of uh, very, uh, annoying for some non-Hausa speakers, if you, they start reading a sentence, then all of a sudden the person switches to using Hausa. So the fact that Hausa speakers like using their language makes all these technology companies to start scouting for Hausa technologies and Hausa language to come and help them localize their platforms, their blogs, and their user interface. And also the fact that 
the House of Speaking areas of the world are currently experiencing uh, a lot of conflicts. Like, uh, you, I think you should know about uh, Boko Haram and mm. some of the violent conflicts going on. So there is a lot of humanitarian attention and uh, donors coming up and trying to help the internally displaced people. So most of them, even though they are not particularly in Hausa native lands, but then Hausa is the lingua franca around those areas. So it makes these uh, organizations to seek uh, people that are conversant with speaking Hausa. Because once you can speak Hausa, it's very easy to interact with uh, these people around West Africa and especially the Sahelian areas. Maybe you can also talk about localization in general, what it's about, and then what you do specifically with Hausa in that field. Okay. Uh, so localization is uh, considered to be adaptation of resource or a product to fit the demand of one specific culture or one specific locale is sometimes conflicted with globalization which is kind of the opposite where you're trying to adapt a resource or a product to fit the demand of multiple cultures for example let's say you are bilingual site also attracts people from western europe speaking german danish so you want to globalize your websites by including some other languages. But if in case you are targeting the Latin America, for example, you want to localize your website to uh, the Spanish spoken in Mexico. So if you are targeting one language, then we can say you are localizing. So localization in general is about making things to conform with some local. Uh, mostly by translating it and and changing, adjusting its formats. For example, if you are using visual elements in your website, you want it to be relatable to the particular uh, uh, target people you are or target customers you want to engage. So you probably would like to use their currency, their date format, their time format, their uh, telephone number format and stuff like that to make it more local to them. So this is all about localization. But the backbone of localization is uh, language translation. And language translation also covers uh, translation, transcription, transcreation, copy editing, message recreation, proofreading, and a lot more, including provision of localized keyboards for example house has keyboards i was opportunity to work on uh, the uh, uh, android application package for swift key i was one that reviewed its house uh, uh, characters that were introduced i think around 2016. so localization is very important it's not just translation but then it's a professional way of translating and adapting uh, things into local, uh, uh, local actually, uh, they use local mostly than local. So the translation is the, as I say, is the backbone, but then translation is not just done by every bilingual or multilingual. So for a translation to be professional, it has to be linguistically accurate, culturally relevant, and the message has to be easily understood 
and it should sound natural, not like one done by machine translation. Of course, modern day machine translators are very are getting more sophisticated that they render translation that sounds more natural than in the past. So content creators uh, who are translators uh, deliver context for, uh, a text or content from one language to another in a way that resonates with uh, local users. It sounds home ground. It doesn't sound like it's imported and it's very fluent. For example, if it is an idiom, it is translated into a native idiom. It should be easy to read. And the focus is on co-messages of uh, translation. It's not done uh, word by word so that it may sound unnatural. So you have to have a translation equivalent in each of the languages. For example, if I can say in Nigerian pidgin, you can say go come. Go come means you should go uh, and then come back. So, but in English, you cannot say go come. If you are translating it to English, it's, you have to make it so that English, uh, global English speakers can understand it better. And you can, we all know that idioms, for example, are not uh, explained by the individual words. They have some special meanings. So this is why in translation, there is uh, error scale. So I, as I told you, I am now handling Google Translation as lead linguist for some of the Google products. For example, Google has a 5% error benchmark. So your pass rate for every project has to be 95% and nothing less. So this is very important because in technology and in machine translation, it's, errors are very critical. So we have a way of grading errors from being critical to uh, some lower skills. So it's very important for every localization professional or somebody who wants to become a localization specialist or professional to have knowledge, a lot of knowledge, because uh, you are going to be creating a lot of content. Uh, and then uh, in the beginning, the language, even though you are a native speaker, you're supposed to know a lot about language by reading and writing in the uh, indigenous language because you can be a native scholar and uh, uh, native speaker and not know many of the native languages if you don't speak it very often. So knowledge is very important and you have to be very good at writing because you have to be, translation is basically content writing, but uh, adapting it from another source, a source language, to target language. So you have to also know a lot about digital, uh, uh, digital, uh, way of doing things because we the world has turned digital almost uh, uh, entirely, especially when it comes to all this localization issues. So one has to know a lot about word processor apps like Microsoft Word, like Excel. So there are all uh, open access uh, courses that one can do to learn about localization, but it's built mostly on skills. Although we are doing linguistic jobs, not many of us are academic linguists. So because this industry is very much concerned about skills, lo local uh, uh, skills, technology skills, internet skills, 
So one has to know a lot about social media, about all this there are what they call computer assisted translation tools. We are uh, we call it CAT uh, tools. So there are a lot of it, memo queue, then there are some uh, translation uh, management systems, we call them TMS. For example, on Google, we use Google platform called Google Polyglot. So it's a platform created by Google to manage all their localization activities. So I have access to it along with my uh, three linguists that support my Google translation works. So digital content writing is very important. One has to also do some voiceover and then the industry, I can conclude by saying, it's kind of uh, very complex, so one can only chip in and be perform some aspect of it, not all of it. Yeah. Great. Um, I really like the insights you give about the skills that are required, you know, for language professionals who are working for multinational organizations that are involved in localization for Hausa. And I'm really interested in your work as a language lead for Google House localization project. You mentioned that you use translation management systems and you spoke about a platform, Google Polyglot. Uh, can you give us some kind of insight into the work you do, maybe the other platforms that you use within your work, um, the TMS that you use, how you collaborate with other linguists in, in undertaking the work that you're currently doing with Google? Yeah, so not only with Google, because Google, I have been with uh, working on Google products for only the past two years. But before then, I have worked with several other uh, uh, companies. Like, uh, if, if I want to first introduce to you the localization industry, the way I see it globally. So the localization industry is technology-driven and uh, is closely related to internet. So most of our works are internet related. Uh, we work on the cloud sometimes and then social media. And then we also work for some of these localization companies are conventional media. So I can say that around the world, the biggest localization companies we have are like We Localize, Lionbridge, Vistatech, Skynet, Datamundi. And coming down to Africa, you can say the highest concentration of localization companies are in South Africa, Egypt, Kenya, and Nigeria. But that doesn't mean that we receive our works uh, from all these African countries. We mostly receive our works from US, UK, Belgium, Dubai, and some uh, other places. So this is kind of the case with, uh, you know, how development uh, started. Uh, industrialization. Uh, it started from the first world, then the second world, then the third world, which are mostly in Africa. So the same thing, just like in the telephony industry, when global uh, system GSM started, work first, uh, when you place a call from here in Nigeria, it has to go to, say, a place in UK, then it is rerouted back to Ghana. Instead of you just calling from Nigeria to Ghana. So, but uh, it's happening almost the same with localization industries. I have done a work by Niger for Nigerian clients, but it came from US companies. Like there is a movie, a documentary 
uh, about Chibok girls. If you remember Chibok girls who were kidnapped in 2014 in Nigeria by Boko Haram. Yes, I do. Yeah, there was a film about them. Although the, of course, the filmmakers were mostly diaspora Nigerians, but then they came to Nigeria, down, down to Nigeria and did the recording and the, uh, uh, the, the production. But then when it came to translating the content to Hausa, because the interview was done in Hausa, uh, I received the work from a language school in California. So you can see how Africans were not coming uh, up when it comes to localization until much uh, recently. But anyway, this is how the reality of the industry is. And then uh, I also, I can say the stockholders in the localization industry are mostly schools, or it should be schools. But of course, academic institutions are part of it. Then filmmakers, non-governmental organization, development organization, humanitarian organization. But it's mostly the, uh, dominated by big tech companies and then big media companies. But then the development uh, organization also needs a lot of localization for social intervention programs, like this uh, social and behavioral change communication mostly is required for intervention in humanitarian or health or education, stuff like that. So they need to speak the local language. They need to speak the to the target beneficiaries in local languages. They need to produce content in local languages. So you can see how vast localization industry can be. Uh, but we mostly focus on the tech aspect because it's most prominent. But then in the conventional aspect of, like, say, humanitarian organization, they need localized content in flyers, in books, in guidebooks, in some poster messages, especially in health and in hospitals. So they need to localize all this content. The same with government doing like agric programs. So I was also, I happened to work for, there is uh, the Nigeria Central Bank. It has a program called NISA. So they are doing a work for the rural community, trying to help them master modern technique of farming. So I was, uh, I think I work on like a dozen pro, uh, products, dozen agri agricultural products, crops and fisheries and uh, animal husbandry. So all those materials needed to be uh, localized. I have also work on them. So this is how the, the localization works. Then there are another aspect of the localization industry that is volunteer. I think you should know about translators without borders, which is going all around crisis areas, trying to translate materials into uh, local languages to help access to information. And there are organizations like uh, Global Voices, like uh, Paradigm Initiative in Nigeria, who are doing a lot about digital rights, informing the local citizens about how their rights they have rights to internet, information access, uh, internet, they are fighting internet firewall and paywalls and restrictions for, uh, of local people access to technology and information. So the localization industry is kind of, one can only be working in a particular segment. So it has a lot of layers over layers so this is why it's built on mostly on crowdsourcing. So a lot of localization professionals like myself, 
started off as uh, freelancers because mostly these translation works are being outsourced. The reason why it's even growing is because of internet and social media. If somebody wants information about how so you can easily post it, then somebody can pick it up. And there are some, uh, what, I, what they are called aggregators, for example. And uh, the way things are, because a company in Australia can have clients in Nigeria, house speaking clients. So for example, I work for a, there is a tiny island country called Suns, Navies and Skits or something like that. So just, I think the country started getting some Hausa visitors trying to, to get some citizenship. You know how Africans love getting some other citizenship of some other countries for different reasons. So they found out maybe they are getting some house visitors who are trying to become citizens of that tiny island. So they have this special package of you coming to invest certain amount of money for you to get citizenship. So they realized that they needed to speak to the house clients in house language. So I got it from a company in Dubai. I got to translate their form, uh, application form to become a citizen in their country. So you can see how localization is very important. And another thing is, uh, a mar I once worked on a marriage certificate by some people in Adamawa State. A Christian marriage was conducted in a church in Adamawa State of Nigeria. And the marriage certificate, I think, got tabled in Canada, something like that. So maybe in a court of law. So the court of law had to look for a translator to translate the marriage certificate for it to be tabled as an evidence or something like that. So I hope you are with me. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting you... because um, it reminds me of, uh, you know, recently I had a conversation with okay. Dr. Johnson on Nipsey Live. Okay. And one question that came up was the reason for the demand, the increasing demand in localization into African languages. And yeah. the answer that I gave, I said that Africa is an emerging market and then also the diversity of languages. But speaking with you, I'm, be I'm beginning to have like fresh insights because you spoke about the internet and social media, and now you're talking about immigration and all those uh, factors. It's, it's quite interesting. Yeah, yeah. And also when you say uh, Africa is a large uh, uh, buffet, market buffet, if you can call it. Uh, I also recently worked for a company called, for a translation project, a company called Get R or something like that. So they wanted to expand into Nigeria. So they needed to translate all their terms and conditions. You know how they are very careful with privacy yeah. policy and stuff like that. So they translated their uh, terms and conditions, privacy policy into Hausa. And then there was this uh, mobile health company also that came from UK to Nigeria recently. They also, I also work on translating their TNC. And then some internet sites also, they needed to translate their UI strings, user interface. The same thing with uh, audio, video, and like Netflix. Hausa is kind of under-resourced in the, as far as internet is concerned. So one can be in, low, in translation, especially translation, the way it is done, you have to translate it first, then edit it and proofread it. And mostly companies like using different set of people to do that. 
So you can send someone to translate the document, then send it to another one for editing and proofreading, then to another one for reading. Then there is what they call uh, language quality assessment or language quality evaluation, where they run some computer programs to do some basic checks on consistency issue so they can identify some key errors. So in localization, quality assessment QA is very important. Then part of localization, which I didn't talk of, is uh, web uh, uh, search engine optimization. You know when you type a word in Google or Bing or other search engine, the kind, the quality of the result that comes up. And for every site, every site wants to be coming up as uh, among the first list of uh, search uh, query results. So it is why we have a whole uh, a whole industry for search engine optimization. Then there is website evaluation. There is also app testing. So you build an app targeting, for example, house speakers or Nigerians or Ghanaians. So you wanted to, you wanted you you would really love to have Ghanaians to test the app before you release it. So you probably need to hire a Ghanaian to to test the app for you. It's also part of localization. So in every company, to tell you how local, how important localization is, companies have different positions and layers of uh, offices that handle translation. Of course, many companies pass their translation demands, uh, uh, assignments, and tasks to companies like we localize for onward uh, transmission to freelancers or to linguists to do the work. But then a serious organization will have like language manager, language lead, language director, language assessor, language reviewer, and even external uh, linguists. For example, Google have their own linguists in-house. They have an external linguist. Then they have each of their vendors like we localize have their own linguists. So it's all about quality. They need to, they always need to have the perfect quality because a small tiny error can be costly, especially legally. You know how these companies can fall into legal traps and end up having to pay a lot of fines. So in the language service, uh, the LSP industry, we have a lot of vendors and we have what they call tech aggregators, operate like news aggregators. So a tech aggregator company advertises uh, translation tax and assignments for people to claim. Like there is this one very popular one called Fiverr. I think Fiverr is used to be, there is so what they used to say, if there is Fiverr, there is a way. So Fiverr is a place that you can throw off any sort of assignment and get people to do it for you. But as far as localization, there are translators cafe, there are prosy.com, there is Turing. Turing is mostly works for uh, coding. And then there are a lot of job sites, indeed, job leads and uh, a network of linguists where all these uh, translators, uh, translators and freelancers can get uh, information, can get jobs or can get temporary positions. So a lot of outsourcers and recruiters out there. So practitioners in the industry, in the localization industry, I'm sorry to say, 
they have an upper hand more than the academic linguists. The academic linguists are busy doing a lot of progress, but then the language practitioners who are mostly in the localization industry, they do it uh, more than conventional linguists. This is why in my state, uh, in Nigeria here, we have a kind of good synergy with language practitioners. Uh, and especially we have now uh, Institute of Translators and Interpreters, which is kind of trying to become the umbrella body for localization professionals. So uh, I think we are, Africa is making a lot of progress. And I'm interested in knowing about, you know, you spoke about the multinationals that you've worked with. In your work with them, do they have localization departments or is it something that they outsource most of the time? Yeah, for example, many of them are US-based companies, all these big tech companies, Microsoft, Google, Amazon, they are based in US. So there is lack of enough native speakers of these languages. And if you find them, they are mostly engaging other things other than translation. So this is why they need to hand their uh, assignments to 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 vendors. There are many vendors who have a network of a directory of translators, and especially mostly freelancers. And the reason why they love working with freelancers is because their labor laws, for example, doesn't allow them to employ somebody directly who is based in, let's say, Kenya. So sometimes they would rather pass it over to their vendors who have all the legal, know all the legal intricacies of hiring foreigners, especially to work as uh, freelancers. And another reason is they have their labor law, for example, minimum wage. For example, I have lived in Washington, D.C. As I then their minimum wage was, uh, I think, $13 per hour. So some of these companies want to minimize costs. So they transfer the works over to African countries where the equivalent minimum wage can be just like $3 per hour, for example. So you can see how it can be cheaper to engage uh, freelancers than US or Western country based uh, diaspora uh, native speakers of uh, all these uh, uh, languages. And then there are some also security and national security issue attached to translation. For example, there is this company that is making planes, Boeing, we all know Boeing. So Boeing has a, have a reason to hire a Hausa speaker to do, I think, some of their user or safety documents inside the plane need to be translated for, into some popular languages of the world. So you can see adverts, for example, by Boeing looking for Hausa speaker, but then the law, because Boeing, although it's a private company, but as far as US is concerned, aviation is kind of high target security concern. So they need a native US citizen to who can obtain what they call security clearance to work in that industry. So this is why, although there is high demand for Boeing, like every six months, you will see an advert if you are very keen at uh, aware and aware of all these places, they advertise these positions. Boeing advertising looking for a Hausa linguist or Hausa professional or Hausa engineer for the past one year, but they could not land one because of some issues. So this is why we are encouraging, especially 
people that studied linguistics and uh, and other languages, English or some other African languages, to get into the industry, there is serious demand. I can list like dozen companies. For example, Chinese companies are playing catch up now with all this stuff. Nokia is looking for house translator, house engineer, house analyst. Boeing is looking for one. Twitter, Facebook, Microsoft, Netflix. I can tell you, I have done interviews like this year alone for like three companies uh, because I recently decided to kind of be serious about uh, uh, this language stuff. Uh, I think I I didn't tell you how I got into <laughs> into the translation and localization industry. I'd love to hear about that. <laughs> Very okay. I think it's uh, kind of inspiring or exciting. Yeah, you see, my bachelor's uh, was in economics, although I have first graduate education and some diploma education in Arabic and Hausa. Uh, but I, I also have some postgraduate education in another certificate in stuff I consider as my co-career, co like this building, non-profit management, which I did a whole fellowship in the United States. Uh, I then initially I started as a writer for over 20 years, since over 20 years ago. And I was uh, at, at, at some level in the, the journalistic uh, writing industry. I was a poet, oh, I'm still a poet actually, and a blogger, and book reviewer. I authored three books. and. I have translated about three books also. Uh, but how I got into the translation localization industry is, I think one has to first be a good writer. So you have to be a content writer. So as a bilingual author, I used to edit a pamphlet then in my university days. I then started, so you can see I started as a writer, then an author, an editor. Then gradually I started taking freelance localization jobs. And then when the social media becomes a thing, I open a dedicated house trans house localization page on Twitter and Facebook. So and boom, I just found out that uh, there are a lot of international companies, international organizations looking for house linguists, house analysts, house translators, house transcriptionists stuff like that. So I started engaging them. Then I ventured into literary translation. We did a project about uh, a short story by, by this Kenyan uh, literati, uh, Professor uh, Watiango. Yeah, in Ngwigi, Watiango, I think that's how they pronounce it. So there was a magazine in Kenya called Jalada Africa, which uh, decided to translate the short story of the person, the literary guru, into 50 African countries, African languages, I mean. So the theme become very uh, popular with uh, around the world. So in fact, our work, including my house translation of that short story, was exhibited in the University of Vienna, I think in 2017 also. So you are uh, from that, uh, 15 African languages, it was extended up to currently about 100 languages. 
So you can see how the impact of African doing something for African languages. So back to how my trajectory, my journey into localization industry. So I also ventured into a literary translation. Then I happened to join a TV production outfit in Kaduna here in Nigeria. So I was introduced to Hausa TV programming. I was in charge of subtitling for TV productions. And then I did segment presentation, Hausa interview on TV. Then after that, I started taking up a lot of jobs. Like I did in 2016, a job for a UK global positioning system application called Word Three Words. So they, they describe, they allocate three words for each of the location around the whole globe when they are planning to come to Nigeria. They sent me a list of 10,000 household words for me to review and remove some proprietary words, some profane words and stuff like that. So you can see what, how localization tasks can vary from translation, transcription, voice recording, voiceover, and sometimes just reviewing a list of words. So, and then after that, I found myself in the United States as a fellow in Washington, DC. I was, uh, I held a position called uh, for country advisor for a project targeting West Africa. So my language knowledge became very much handy. So you can see if you are very good at uh, use of language, uh, especially translation, it all it will always be for you wherever uh, yourself. So I used to say the fun fact uh, about me is I see myself as a kind of accidental linguist, although I have been passionate all, all my life about languages since my primary school days where I started learning in Hausa, Arabic and English, all three since from my primary two. So this is how I got passionate about languages. And then I still see translation localization as a hobby, but then a hobby that takes a good 10% of my life and that generates a lot of income for me. So gradually it's taking like 40% of my life, uh, but still I see myself professionally as an economist, maybe peace building specialist, religious freedom specialist, stuff like that. For example, if you should search my name was Vinidris on Google, I think you will see a lot coming up not related to localization. But then here I am, uh, being the face of house localization around the world for so many uh, people, and, uh, which is, uh, I'm really proud of that. So I'm trying to, I have recently decided to take up permanent position with all these big companies since I reached man, and I think I have time. So that's why I started doing some interviews with some of these uh, companies recently. So I think it's uh, something beautiful to, to consider. Yes, I also think it's very beautiful and really, really uh, glad about your journey so far and all the effort that you've put in and the diversity of what you've been able to learn and all that. And you're talking about the, the, the time that you spend within the language services industry. And I'm just wondering, you spoke about also the fact that we don't have enough linguists for African languages and for Hausa also. So how do you think we can bridge that gap? You spoke about academicians, you know, not being very much 
involved when it comes to the practical aspects of the profession. So how can we create that interest so that we have more of those linguists and others, you know, learning the practical aspects of the industry? Yeah, so one has to have some level of passion for his own native language. And then considering the fact that technology is unstoppable. So, and, uh, and the fact that languages are dying, especially all these minority languages, if you don't do anything about it. So uh, back to our focus on Hausa. So there is a term uh, in the localization industry called uh, a categorization of language. For example, there are languages that are considered to be under-resourced. So under-resourced languages are languages that are, have very few digital resources. Of course, there could be a bunch of books about the language in some libraries, but then until you digitize those contents, they are inaccessible globally. They are inaccessible globally, especially in the internet. So this is why there are a lot of uh, digitization works for Hausa contents. For example, British Library, which we had some partnership with last year. So British Library have a kind of localization project called BL made digital, that is British Library made digital. I think there is a hashtag for that. So they had, uh, I, uh, I came to know them through Twitter. They contacted me, they wanted to do a special one week feature about Hausa language. So they, I was featured as a, to post in, their, in the British Library project handle on Twitter. So that they have a lot of digitized works for Hausa newspaper. For example, the, the first Hausa newspaper was established, I think, in the 1930s. So they got a hun hundreds of copies of those first published uh, paper, uh, papers and digitized them into an archive. So there is a British Library archive of Hausa content. So under resource languages are languages that do not have resources. This is uh, where we talk about corpus or corpora. Corpus is a body of uh, database of a language. For example, news items produced by BBC Hausa, some blogging posts on blogspot by Hausa writers, maybe a Hausa book uploaded in the internet, maybe a, an ancient Hausa newspaper digitized so this is what contributes into body of Hausa content online or on the digital platform. So machine translation, for example, is only has to be fed content produced in that language in a parallel as a parallel to the one translated from say English. So the way you train machine translator is to feed it with content that has parallel uh, Hausa version and English version, for example, the Holy Bible or the Holy Quran. So apart from the translation work I do for Google, which is partly feeding Google Translate, also there is a translation memory in Google. There is glossary sets that Google acquires from online uh, resources digital resources available to feed the machine, but just be creating content. 
and the content doesn't have to be like created by only professionals even people just writing about their biography about a house hotel about some house song it all helps because some somebody somewhere is working to to acquire that to get it into a corpus to build build a database uh, but the most important thing is uh, you have to use standard orthography. I don't know for some other Ghanaian languages aside from Hausa. I don't know for Akan and some other, is it Dabani? Uh, Hausa has some special characters. When Hausa started using the Latin vocal script, we modified we modified three letters by giving them some hooks. So this is why we have some three or four Hausa characters, depending on the region. There is Niger Hausa, for example, used four special characters. Then Hausa used three special characters with one apostrophe character. So I will encourage content creators to be writing in the correct orthography. In fact, I wrote a paper about the issue of orthography in Hausa languages. I think back in 2016, I did this uh, academic paper. I call it Askification of Hausa Digital Text. So ASCIification, ASCII is an organization for encoding and decoding characters. And if you know Unicode, it's kind of global uh, organization that takes care of uh, encoding and decoding mm. or digitizing characters. So many African characters are being gradually uh, made uh, uh, characters input, imputed into Unicode system. So for Hausa, it has happened for a very long time. But then, unless you write the correct uh, character, correct orthography, your content may be confusing the, the, the translation machines. So it's very important to have uh, good content. But I always say that for Hausa, there is lack of Hausa linguists, Hausa professionals, Hausa coders, Hausa engineers, Hausa digital techies, and all these uh, uh, professionals. So at every moment, I can tell you this, you can quote me anywhere, at any moment there are 10 open positions, permanent position jobs, at least in uh, 10 positions for housing in the US. And then at least globally, there are 10 open positions for housing. Just search it anytime, at any moment, you can find open position for house engineer. I can cite like five at the moment. And in Nigeria also, there are many jobs that require you to have to be a native speaker or at least near native speaker. So house speaking is very advantageous. And I'm sure it is also true. It was, I'm sure it's also true for some other languages. So translation tags are out there for people to, to, to grab. So people need to get into the industry. I don't know if I've answered the questions correctly so far. You've answered and each time I have a follow-up question, you keep on, I mean, you move on to the next uh, issue and I'm like, wow, you know, <laughs> you've, you've really covered a lot. And when you were talking about the lack of linguists, I was just also wondering, I know it's the same for a lot of other African languages, uh, but I'm wondering, can we look at the foundation of all these? That is our education setup, you know, because if we have a lot of um, children learning these languages, then I think gradually, although some, of course, a lot will shift into other areas, but some will 
enter into the, the, the language services industry. So what do you think we can do at that very level of the, the foundation of children? Yeah, I think that's the good idea. A good way to start is by having initiatives that are uh, solution-oriented and problem-driven. As now you just identified the issue of education, education our kids. So it's one of the good ways to start, uh, start off with. Uh, we have this tendency of abandoning our languages. Of course, languages all around the world die. It happens because major languages keep on defeating and growing up to the detriment of minority languages, especially for house uh, is also notorious for killing minority languages in the Hausa lands, all around Hausa lands, like in Nigeria, mm. I think the estimate is we have about 300 languages and about 400 dialects. So you can see some of these wow. things, these languages are dying. So the major languages, Hausa, Igbo, Yoruba are the ones surviving. And even among them, I think Igbo is uh, considered uh, under threat uh, of being endangered. Uh, partly or mostly is because of the Igbo speakers are not passing the language down to their kids, especially Igbo speakers that are uh, growing up uh, outside the, the Igbo lands and especially in the diaspora. So it's very good to start with uh, teaching our kids our native languages. In fact, it will be kind of a sin for you to have a kid and not pass your native language to them. Because by the time they grow up and discover that they have missed a lot of opportunity, it will be a kind of unforgivable. And another thing is, uh, so we should know our history and uh, take up these things by ourselves. Sadly, we are not the one helping our languages. For example, I don't think the number of universities teach offering Hausa as a study uh, is enough. For example, there are so many foreign universities that offer Hausa in US, UK, Germany, Egypt, China, Poland, Belgium. They are all offering Hausas, but you come to Nigeria, some universities, uh, uh, in some native house speaking state may not be offering the language or may not be doing a lot about for the language academically. Or the students are rolling, are not enrolling into these languages until they are forced to. For example, they are deny you apply to study geography, then maybe your course, uh, your schools did not uh, permit you to get into geography, then Hausa will be pushed to you. And all of a sudden, you are studying Hausa not out of passion. So you just do it to pass over and go. So until we change our attitude, uh, and then we have a media. Our media are trying to speak with uh, utilization of native languages. But then we are allowing English to dominate it. And especially, I have this uh, opinion that pidgin English is actually killing our native languages. I like pidgin English because of its creativity, but then I see it as a threat to native languages, especially to Hausa in northern Nigeria. Uh, so this is why I don't promote the idea of pidgin language. Of course, pidgin English is being promoted like BBC now, which used to have only BBC Hausa. They now have BBC uh, Igbo and Yoruba, which is very, very uh, exciting uh, initiative, but then they also have BBC pidgin. Honestly, I don't like pidgin. I speak pidgin uh, to the best of my knowledge, but I see it as a corrupt version 
of you not not speaking English correctly and then uh, and as, as, as also supplanting the, 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 the native uh, languages. So we also need to do a lot about speaking the correct standard language. For example, in Hausa, there are standard orthography and there are standard grammar for Hausa. In writing, you have to stick to the uh, standard punctuation. So unless we don't do that, we are not promoting. Even though you, are, you think you are promoting the language, you are harming it but in the practical world and in the digital world. So in education, we need to do a lot. We need to be serious about it. So Hausa is likely to have uh, a lot of attention, like for the past 30 to 50 years, there are many international radio stations that have been broadcasting in Hausa from US, UK, Turkey, Libya, Italy, China, France, Germany. There has always been Hausa radio station, which are doing a lot more than sometimes our local radio stations because they hire the best people, they hire the best speakers, and they are very keen at keeping to the standard of writing Hausa language. So in fact, when you are doing research uh, now, you find that you have better use for all this content created by this media companies, foreign media companies. So the local media organization need to do a lot. And to be, it may be surprising to you that if you are looking for Hausa language guide, for example, in technology, well, by the way, I saw your website, I think you have a very amazing publication called Localization Guide for African Languages, which is really yeah. nice. Yeah, congratulations for that. Thank so, you. So it's localization guide for, for African uh, countries, and we've done uh, the guides for Ghana, Benin, Burkina Faso, and Cameroon, yeah. Wonderful. What about Nigeria? Yes, we are, we are planning on that. I mean, Nigeria is, is, you know, is so diverse, and so we are looking forward to working on Nigeria as well. Okay, so best of luck. So you see Microsoft, Google, Amazon, they, have all, they all have their translation, Hausa translation guide or Hausa uh, writing guide, which is very important for every localization company to have because it kind of set up the standard for their organization, standard that can never be breached. So we need to focus kind of in a kind of novel gazing to see how our heritage of languages must survive, needs to survive. Uh, luckily, there are some projects, of course, by mostly Western organization for endangered languages. For example, uh, I even did a training recently about how to apply for a grant. I think the project is called Endangered Language Documentation Project. It's sponsored. You can apply to for a grant, some hundreds or thousands of dollars to for a project of documenting a language, a minority language in your area which you think is endangered. So what they do is they kind of uh, uh, record some speakers of the language, maybe write a list of a kind of uh, vocabulary list or a dictionary or some songs or some incantations about the language and then document it, archive it, so that in case the language happens to die, someday they have a record of uh, the language and if they want to kind of revive it, 
you can do it. So they create books, audios, songs, puzzles about the local languages. So I encourage African, African, especially from minority languages, which unfortunately also did not qualify to get that grant uh, as I had wanted. Yeah, because Hausa is not an endangered uh, language. Although Hausa, I told you, is uh, under-resourced, but then Hausa is not among the less commonly taught languages, which is uh, another category of uh, language. So what Africans should do is also language documentation. Of course, there are some passionate linguists who want to introduce uh, some scripts. But then I don't think we need new scripts because we are okay with this, uh, the Latin script or the Arabic script we are using. For example, even as even this year, I saw a new Hausa Ajami newspaper. So Ajami has been, Hausa has been written in the Arabic script called Ajami for over 500 years ago. But then when Boko script came, it kind of relegated Ajami script. But then there is now a renewed in, interest from both local uh, and international organizations about this Ajami script, which is also wonderful. It, it still helps the language, no matter how you write it, so long it is the language, it helps it. I think I remember there is, uh, I did uh, just last month, I submitted uh, a, a, I contributed a kind of, uh, not a chapter fully, but it's uh, for, for I, think, uh, I think Library of Congress. Okay, it's Library Association, uh, American Library Association, a partnership with uh, Library of Congress. Uh, they did a joint project for Ajami scripts. So I drafted a conversion table for Ajami scripts for somebody who contacted me from, I think, Yale University. So this is part of the localization things I do pro bono because if you love your language, you don't need to ask for money for everything you do. Uh, and it will be funny if I tell you the kind of uh, consultations I do for Hausa. I don't know if I should go ahead. Um. Yes, I think I think that would be interesting. Um, there are a lot of people who want to know really about what's happening. So that would be great. You can talk about it briefly. Yeah, so uh, when you have the passion, you don't, you don't want to be paid for you to deliver language service. For example, I always attend to people, especially on social media, asking me one or two things about AUSA. And I, of course, I do it for free. I also offer volunteer translation for organizations. For example, I did one for breast cancer uh, awareness campaign. So you can be doing that and it helps perfect your skills and it helps you become more professional. So I translate points for free. I do book translation also. I help people doing hackathons, uh, technology hackathons for languages or for translating some uh, words associated with a certain industry or certain sector. Uh, I also remember contributing to a project in Brazil. It's a documentary project. They did a film about a history of a revolt, a rebellion by house slaves, which happened like in 1800s. It's called uh, 
Mali revolt or something like that. So it was slaves from Nigeria who were speaking Hausa who were taken to Brazil. They revolted then. So that history was made into a movie recently. So what I contributed in that thing for free was just about the title. So they wanted to give it Hausa title. So revolt in Hausa is called Tawai. So they named the movie Tawai Mali. And they wanted to use Ajami script because it's, it's the script that Hausa was written those days. So they, went, they asked me to write the, the title in Ajami, which they also use as, uh, the, at, for introducing the movie when you watch it. So I also attend to people doing, like people in the US doing DNA tests only to discover that they have some traces of Hausa blood in them. So they suddenly become interested in learning about Hausa and Hausa people. So I attend to them and sometimes you just see somebody like one time I got a German lady who wanted to do language tandem. I don't know if you know tandem is a kind of language learning where you will be teaching me one language and I'll be speaking to you in another language. So we are, it's kind of a language exchange uh, system. It's called tandem. So doing these things for fun or just for, 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 for hobby helps you to also become a professional in the industry. And it helps, it helps promote your language around the world. So you shouldn't hesitate to do something for free when you are asked to. Okay. Um, you've given us a wealth of information about localization into not only house, uh, you know, but African languages in general. You've spoken about your experience in the field. You've given us various reasons uh, for the demand in localization into African languages and into Hausa. You've spoken about digital platforms, you know, that use all that data. And you've also talked about the myriad of, of opportunities that exist within that field for language professionals. And then you also give uh, several examples of initiatives that have been uh, carried out to promote African languages. You spoke about a book or literary work of other was translated into 100 African languages, and that's truly remarkable. You also mentioned, uh, you know, some shortcomings, like for instance, the need for more content creation into our African languages and into Hausa. You spoke about the need for native linguists and the need for, you know, more professionals to join this particular um, field that is localization and language services. Very, very interesting and fantastic insight. I, I had, at some point, I had some questions I wanted to ask, but each time you kept, you know, providing so much information, <laughs> but I think it's been very, very useful. Do you have any final comments, you know, as we are trying to wrap up? Yeah, I think my advice to Africans and African linguists is uh, to take up the bull by the hands, uh, not wait for, uh, Western companies or Western researchers and scholars to come and do this thing for us. We have a very good advantage in the fact that I think almost all Africans or virtually most Africans are bilinguals. So we mostly speak one native language plus another native language or at least from one colonial language because most Africa is, has official language which happens to be colonial language, either Arabic, English, or French. So, which automatically makes, makes us bilinguals. And being bilingual is a very good start for people venturing uh, into the language industry.
So it's all left for you to become a professional by uh, starting taking some courses and practicing your skills gradually. And then we need to promote the language ourselves. There, are, there is high demand. So take it up. If you want money, you can make money. Facebook, Amazon, Google, CNN, British National Mirror, they are all looking for translators or Hausa engineers or uh, Akan linguists or coding, people that do coding. Yeah, so this is my advice. Get into, develop your skill as a linguist or as a uh, some, someone passionate about languages. Engage with people on social media, for example, there are many uh, social media groups uh, for linguists, like Translation Talk, and so many, many more. So go into technology, develop yourself. There are many tools for doing all these things, do it, tools for transcription and stuff like that. So the sky is the limit, if I must use the cliche. Yeah. Mm. Thank you so much, Mazuna. I would like to learn one word in, in Hausa. That is, or is it two words? Thank you. So how do I say thank you in Hausa? Yeah, now good. Now good. Yeah, I, I told you Hausa has very short, short, tiny words that are easy to memorize. So Hausa is very easy to understand. I believe so. So now good day, Mazun. I'm really, really excited about this episode. It's really, really been enriching. I've learned a lot, and I believe my listeners have also learned a lot from, from this discussion. Thank you so much, Mason, for accepting to be our guest for this yeah. episode of the podcast. Thank you so much for having me here. And I hope you all, uh, I wish you all the best for next uh, podcast. And I also popularize uh, this uh, podcast as an African initiative. Thank you. We invite you to go to multilingual.com slash Africa LSP to receive a free one-year digital subscription to Multilingual Magazine. You can also find this link in the podcast description.